friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. We're now ready to go to God's Word, and I'd like everybody to please rise from their seats. We will take a look at James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this lovely Sunday morning. Lord, we thank you for the successful hosting of the Missions Conference. We thank you that many people were encouraged, many lives were changed, Many lives were impacted by that missions conference, and we thank you for what you had accomplished. We likewise thank you for this morning that we could worship you and honor you because you are worthy of praise. This is your day. This is the Lord's day. And we pray, O God, that you will give us the heart to listen to your word. Allow us to be completely focused and attentive to your word. And we pray, Lord, that we will embrace the truth that is presented to us. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will begin His work in the hearts of your people right now so that they might glorify and honor you. I pray for myself, O God, in my weakness be my strength. Anoint my lips of clay so that as I speak, Lord, I might speak boldly about your word. I pray, Father, that your grace will be upon me and upon your people to the end that your name would be glorified. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Centering Our Lives Around the Word. Now, if you were with me in the previous Sundays that I have been preaching, you have heard me say that we believers in Christ have been elected by God. We have been saved by God. We have been elected by God. And the way God effected that salvation was through the preaching of the Word of God. We have to realize, however, that our Christian life does not end there. Our Christian life does not end with justification. Our Christian life does not end with our sins forgiven. We need to understand that there is such a thing as sanctification. And in the area of sanctification, we need to grow in our faith in the Lord. We need to grow in our spiritual maturity. And the question we would like to ask, however, is how do we grow? And I would like to provide you the short and long answer to that. The short and long answer is, by the same instrument that was used by God to effect our salvation, and that is the Word of God. So if you want to grow, if you want to become spiritually mature, if you want to change, if you want to be delivered from the power of sin, then you need to center your life on the Word of God. Jesus Christ Himself said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
So this is what you and I will be talking about this morning, but allow me to provide an outline flow so that you and I would know where you and I will be going in so far as this sermon is concerned. So allow me to take you on a trip so that we could navigate what we will be talking about this morning. So allow me to present this outline. Our first point would be this. We will be talking about our knowledge. What is that knowledge? Well, our knowledge is our election. We have been elected by God. And as I mentioned to you, the instrument that God used to effect our salvation is the Word of God. Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. Now, after that, I'm going to talk to you about our second point. Obviously, with that knowledge that we have been saved through God's Word, we need to respond to the Word of God. When it is preached, when we read the Scriptures, we need to respond properly. Now, how do we respond? Three things. First of all, quick hearing. We need to be quick to hear the Word of God. Secondly, we will be talking about slow speaking. The Bible says we are to be slow to speak. Allow me to explain that later on. And the third sub-point there would be slow boiling. Now, this is not a cooking class, all right? I'm going to explain to you what slow boiling is all about later on. Now, obviously, it's not enough that we receive the truth. It must eventually turn into actions. And there are two things I'd like us to be able to do at the end of the sermon. First of all, we need to undress ourselves of sin. And secondly, we need to clothe ourselves with the Word of God. So this is the three points. These are the three points that you and I will be discussing this morning. So let's go to the first point quickly right now. Knowledge, our election by the power of God's Word. Now, it says here in verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren. Now, this you know obviously goes back to verse 18, which refers to the knowledge that God saved us by His own choice through the instrumentality of God's Word. One of the things that I quoted to you was verse 18 in James chapter 1. It says here, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Once again, let me emphasize the fact that how we became born again is the exercise not of your will, not the exercise of my will, but the exercise of God's will. There was this interesting story that we heard from Brother Doug Nichols, as he, as he was sharing during our table talk while we were having our meals. And he was talking about a time wherein he had this meeting with some godly men of God, including John Piper. And somebody asked him a question. And the question was this, since when did you become a Calvinist? Now, some of you might not know what a Calvinist means. Let me just explain simply what a Calvinist means. A Calvinist believes in the sovereignty of God in so far as our salvation is concerned. A Calvinist believes that we have zero participation and zero contribution in so far as our salvation is concerned. It is all the work of God. The cry of the Reformation is all by God, all by grace, and all by faith. That's what a Calvinist believes. So, going back to this story, this man was asking Doug Nichols, since when did you become a Calvinist? And his answer was, since I became born again. And of course, some people were intrigued because Calvinism is actually somewhat deep doctrine. And so they were wondering, how could you possibly be a Calvinist when you became born again? 
when you did not know the doctrines of grace yet? But this was his answer. His answer was, I became a Calvinist because I knew I could not save myself. Now, when he said that, that was not false humility at all. This man, Doug Nichols, before he came to Christ, was a drunkard. He was a gambler, and he was a thief. One of the things that he would do is he would climb up the fences of some of the people in his city, and he would go inside the house, and he would steal a lot of things. And one of the things that the Lord did and how the Lord changed his heart was when he became a Christian, he went to those houses wherein he stole some things, and he asked them, did you lose some things around this time? And they would say, yes, we lost some things. And he would say, well, I think I was the one who stole them. I was drunk at that time, and I would like to pay you back. That's what he did. For everyone he stole something from, he returned back with money to pay whatever he stole. So when he said that, because I knew I could not save myself, when he made that statement, John Piper, who was listening in to that conversation, began to cry and weep like a baby. He could not stop himself because Again, it is a wonderful truth to understand that we are saved, not because we draw near to God, but we were saved because God Himself initiated that work of grace. We had nothing to do with it. And that is why if we are saved, if we are gathering around the Word, if we are worshiping God for our salvation, let us be mindful that we had nothing to do with it. It was all the work of God. The Bible says, in the exercise of His will. Now, this is further confirmed in other passages. In Ephesians chapter 1, it declares that we were saved according to the kind intention of God's will. And then in the Gospel of John chapter 1, it says that we were born again, not because of the will of man, not because of the will of the flesh, but because of the will of God. God is the one who initiates that action. God is the one who opens our spiritual eyes. God is the one who opens our spiritual ears. God is the one who changes our hearts of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. That is what James was talking about. And this was what he was saying to the believers at this time. He was saying, this you know, my beloved brethren, this you know. You got saved, not because of your own choice. This you know, that it was the work of God. It was the will of God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, here's where you and I understand the, the importance of the word of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so, yes, God has elected some people. God has chosen some people. But at the same time, we need to understand that for them to come to Christ, for them to come to salvation, we need to be preaching the gospel. We cannot shut our mouth and say, well... God is sovereign. He can save people without me preaching the Word of God. Sometimes we misunderstand the sovereignty of God. You and I need to understand that there is no contradiction between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Dr. Wilmington explains it this way. It is like two banks of the river. One bank is the sovereignty of God. The other bank is human responsibility. If you remove one bank, it is no longer a river. And the same thing is true as well when we think about this in spiritual terms. We both need the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. And this is exactly what we need to do. We need to preach the gospel. 
so that people can hear, so that the elect, so that the chosen ones could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, the other day, Friday, I had my hair cut. Yes, I do have haircuts. <laughs> and I was sharing to my barber. He's the one who's always doing this to me. And we were exchanging pleasantries, and he was happy to have me again. And we were talking about so many things until finally I brought the conversation to the gospel. I saw an opening, I saw an opportunity to share the gospel, and I began to share the gospel to him a bit. And it's interesting for me to find out that his mother was a Methodist, a Christian Methodist. And so he already has a little background in so far as the Bible is concerned. Now, I did not press him for a decision at that time, but I trust that the seed that I planted in his heart would somehow grow one day. And I'm praying that one day he might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But that is exactly what you and I need to do. We need to be sharing the gospel. We cannot simply close our mouths. We've got to open it. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. Now, it is on the basis of this knowledge that it is the Word of God that effects salvation for people that James appeals to godly responses, to the preaching and reading of God's Word, which brings us to my second point. Our second point is our responses to the Word of God. First of all, the Bible says, but everyone must be quick to hear. This talks about quick hearing. Now, based on the context, again, this has to be related to the Word of God. Sometimes we think of this particular passage in generic terms. But you and I are to be mindful there is a context here. So the quick to hear here has to do with the Word of God. So what do you think does this mean? Well, plain and simply, this means to be teachable. Say this to your neighbor, be teachable. Say to your other neighbor, be teachable. Now the question is, who is to be teachable? Now the answer is very clear here. The answer is, but everyone. If you claim to be a believer in Christ, this means all Christians are supposed to be attentive and teachable in so far as the Word of God is concerned. I hope that you came here for that purpose and no other reason. You came here because you wanted to hear the Word of God. You came here because of your desire to receive marching orders from God. You came here because you want the Word of God to transform you. You want the Word of God to change you, to instruct you, to mentor you, so that you could become the kind of person that God wants you to be. That is the proper attitude we need to have when it comes to the Word of God. Otherwise, you and I cannot grow. Otherwise, you and I cannot grow into spiritual maturity. We will remain as baby Christians or what I call as bonsai Christians. Now, you do not want to become like that because when you and I are spiritually immature, we tumble, we fall, we fail, and our lives end in tragedy and in misery. We make a lot of wrong choices. We make a lot of mistakes. Our lives become miserable because of disobedience. And that is why the proper response for us is to be quick to hear, listen to the Word of God. I came across this article several years ago, and it reads something like this. Harvard astronomers have dialed outer space and are listening for an answer. Their ear, their ear... 85 feet in diameter is a receiving dish located near Boston. According to a column in USA Today, this endeavor 
is the most extensive search ever conducted for intelligent life in outer space. In other words, the purpose really for this satellite dish is to be able to find out if there are aliens out there in other planets. Well, I don't think there's really intelligent life apart from Earth. The only intelligent life you have in outer space would be God Himself and the angels. But other than that, than that the Bible does not speak about aliens. But you see, this is what people are listening for. The project is using a sophisticated computerized radio receiver that allows the scientists to listen to and analyze 128,000 frequencies at once, 24 hours a day for four years. Now think about the attention, the determination, and the perseverance to listen to these frequencies 24-7 for four long years. And I'm thinking, I wish this would be the kind of attitude that we Christians have, that we would really be quick to hear, that we would have a listening ear that will attentively listen to God's Word. I pray that when the Word of God is preached, we will hang at every word that is spoken from the pulpit because that is our life, because that is how we grow, that is how we change, that is how we become better husbands and better wives and better children and better employees. That is how you and I can become Christ-like. There needs to be a lot of things that need to change in us. And I was greatly challenged in our missions conference as I saw the godly life and character of one of our preachers, Brother Doug Nichols. He's been a missionary here in the Philippines for, I think, more than 20 years. He's back in the States. He's retired, but his desire is to come back to the Philippines and die here. And he was telling this story of one time, you know, in, in Metro Manila, it's basically the same as here in Cebu. There is what is called as Punko Punko. You have that uh, sidewalk, uh, snack area, wherein you can just sit on a stool and order some snacks. So this man, Doug Nichols, is really so down to earth. He doesn't mind eating, you know, in, in places like that. So he sat himself on a stool and started to have some snacks. He noticed a young boy who was picking something from the garbage. He was doing that because he was looking for something to eat. Doug Nichols was, was looking at him and asked him, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for something to eat. He said, why don't you come here? Sit down with me on this tool. Let me feed you. And he began to feed this young boy. And you know, the result of that was an opening, an opportunity to be able to share the gospel not only to this young boy whom he fed, but to the other street kids who were his friends. But what really challenged me is, is that kind of a godly character that is so Christ-like. I mean, as we were listening to his story, I mean, story upon story upon story, we were rebuked and we were convicted. There was one time I was speaking here just to respond to the Word of God. I could no longer control my tears. I was just so amazed at how God could change somebody who was a former thief, gambler and drunkard and turn him into something like that, a very godly man, a very caring and compassionate person. But you see, that did not happen just like that. He had to dig into the Word of God. 
He had to be teachable. He had to attend conferences and seminars. He had to be consistent on Sunday listening to the Word of God. It was what nourished his soul. It was what sustained his soul. And the same thing is true with us. A baby cannot grow on its own. A baby cannot raise itself on its own. And there are some of us who are spiritual babies. We need the Word of God. We need the Word of God to teach us what we need to do. Because the Bible says we're foolish people. Before we came to Christ, we were totally depraved. Our ways were foolish. Our ways were wicked and perverse. We do not really know what to do. We need the Bible. The Bible is our instruction manual for living. That's how you and I grow. And that is why we need to be quick to hear. But not only are, to be, are we to be quick to hear, we are to be slow to speak, the Bible says. So this is the point wherein I, I say slow speaking is very important as a response. Now, what does this mean? Well, first of all, it does not mean literal. This does not mean that I speak slowly. All right? That's not what it means. Now, what do you think does this mean? Well, this means this. It means that as the Word of God is being preached and taught, we are not only to listen intently, but we should not butt in or interrupt by bringing in our own interpretation of the biblical text. See, there are some people who think they know it all. And sometimes they're just so quick to butt in and come up with their own interpretations and come up with their own opinions in so far as the Word of God is concerned. They're not teachable. They're not humble. They want to showboat. They're arrogant. They want people to hear what they have to say. The Bible is saying that it's not important what we have to say. What is important is what God has to say. Amen? And... I keep on saying and I keep on reminding myself that apart from the Word of God, I really have nothing to say to you. My opinions are irrelevant. My own personal perceptions are irrelevant. My worldview is irrelevant. The only thing of value that comes out of my mouth is the Word of God. And that's what I hold on to, and that is what I dare speak about. Not my opinion, not my perspective, not my worldview, but what the Bible has to say. And we need to be like that. We need to be quick to hear. We need to be slow to speak in so far as the Word of God is concerned. We're there to hear. We're not there to simply show both and, and show to people how, how wise, intelligent, and bright, and smart we are. The Bible says, be slow to speak. Some people think they know the Word only to learn that they do not know. Here's one thing I've learned. The more I study the Scriptures, the more I understand that there is so much I do not know. The unsearchable riches of the wisdom of God is something that you can never, ever exhaust. You and I, when we read the Scriptures, we have a reflection of the infinite, perfect wisdom of God. The will of God, the will of God's wisdom does not dry out. The will of God's wisdom is infinite. And for those of us who are spiritually thirsty, there's the water of life in the Word of God. For those of us who are spiritually hungry, there's the Word of God to feed and nourish our hungry souls. That's what the Word of God can accomplish in our lives. And that is why we are to be slow to speak and rather to be quick to hear. Now here's another thing we need to do. As a third response, we are to be slow to anger. So this is what I call slow boiling. This is not about boiling eggs. Now what do I mean by slow boiling here? Well, previously, and I have to confess this, I used to think that 
when the Bible says, be slow to anger, this was talking about generic anger. I mean, anger in practically every aspect of our lives. We do lose our temper at times. We get provoked. We get irritated. There's some things that we don't like, and some people rub us the wrong way, so we get angry. So I used to think this is really talking about generic anger, only to find out that within the context, you actually see that it is meshed together with the Word of God. So if I am going to properly and accurately interpret the anger here, it cannot be generic. But rather, it has to be specific. And in this case, this anger has to do with anger against the truth of God's Word. Anger against the truth of God's Word because we are offended. And we have seen this anger against Christ whenever He preached the Word. People got angry. There were some people who were saved. There were some people who were delivered. There were some people who were changed. But there were some people, when Jesus Christ preached the Word of God, they got angry. They were filled with rage. Let me cite to you two examples from the Scripture. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 24 and following. And at this point, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had been rejected by many Jews. Many of the chosen people of Israel had already made up their minds to reject Christ. So that's the context here in Luke 4, 24. And, and that is why here the Lord Jesus began to talk to them about the Jewish nation being bypassed and that God was now going to show favor upon the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. And that's the context here. So let me read Luke 4, 24. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel, God's chosen people, in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the widows of Israel, but rather only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, a Gentile, somebody who was not a Jew. So God provided not for the widows of Israel, but He provided for a widow who was not a Jew, a Gentile. And then he comes up with another example. Look at verse 27. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Again, not a Jew, but a Gentile. So Jesus was setting this up to be able to teach to the people he was talking to that a time will come wherein he would bypass God's chosen nation, Israel, and he would now show favor to other nations. He would now show favor to those who were not Jews, those who were Gentiles. Now, what was the response of the people? Take a look at the response in verse 28. And all the people in the synagogue were what? They were filled with what? They were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built. For what purpose? In order to throw him down the cliff. They wanted to kill him. What they did not know is that he was a son of God. He was invincible. We need to understand that the reason why Jesus died on the cross was not because he could be killed, but because according to the Scriptures, he laid down his life. But they wanted to kill him because he was speaking the truth. But look at what happened in verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went his way. They could not kill him. That was not the time for him to lay down his life. But look at the response. 
What was the sin of Jesus? What was his transgression to these people when he merely spoke about the truth? That because the nation had rejected him as Messiah, he was now going to show favor to the Gentiles and that he would now build the church. What was wrong with that? He was simply talking about the truth, but they were offended. There are a lot of people who get offended when the Word of God is preached. But you and I need to understand that when preachers stand behind the pulpit, they're not speaking their own word. If they're going to be faithful messengers of God, the only thing that they need to do is to present the Word of God as it is without adding to it, without subtracting from it. They simply need to deliver the message. That's what a messenger is and what he is to do. And in that faithfulness, God would be well pleased. Jerry Marcelino, one of our preachers, who writes an article for the community newspaper in his city or in his town, was requested to come up with an article about homosexuality. So he talked to the editor and he said, are you sure you want me to write an article about homosexuality? Because if I'm going to write an article on homosexuality, I'm going to speak the truth as it is from the Scriptures. The Bible is against homosexuality. God loves the homosexuals, but He is against homosexuality. So the editor said, well, we want you to write something. So he does write something, and as he writes that, there were a lot of people who read that, and there were a lot of people who were offended. Those who were homosexuals were offended. Those who were tolerating homosexuality, they were offended. So one pastor gave in to the pressure. A pastor from another church gave in to the pressure, and he said, I'm not like Pastor Jerry. I'm more accommodating. I'm more welcoming. And he began to put down Pastor Jerry before his congregation. The congregation, however, responded and said, we stand together with Pastor Jerry on this issue. That pastor got fired from his church. And rightly so, because he failed to stand in the truth. And friends, here's the thing. The Word of God is there to help us, not to destroy us, to build lives, to change lives. But we have got to humble ourselves with the truth of God's Word, and we have got to allow ourselves to be corrected, to be rebuked, to be instructed. Otherwise, the Word of God will be useless for us. And that is why we must not be offended with the truth. That is what it means, slow to anger. Here's another story. Take a look at Luke chapter 6, verse 5. It says here, And Jesus was saying to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. By that, Jesus was in effect saying that He could do anything in the Sabbath as He chose to do so. For after all, He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And by the way, that also meant that he was making himself unequal to God the Father. The Jews did not like what he was saying. They thought that this was blasphemy. But Jesus did not mind. He was simply talking about the truth. What would he do? Tone it down? How could he tone down his deity? How could he say that he is not the Son of God when he is the Son of God? The truth had to be known as to his person. But look at the response, verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. He was healed. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, to the man who was 
are not healed, stretch out their hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. Look at the response in verse 11. But they themselves were what? They were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to destroy Jesus. And again, why respond in that way? Now, as we are talking about these two passages, let us be mindful, we're talking here about unbelievers. This was the response of unbelievers. And of course, this was how they would respond. The Bible says that darkness hates light. These people belong to the darkness, and as the light was exposing their sins, they did not like it. They hated it. They wanted to remain in darkness. That is why they were hating the light of God's Word, the light of God's truth. Now, that was the reason why they were responding in that way, not to excuse them, not to exonerate them. But that's the reason why they hated God's Word. Quite interestingly, listen well, James was not, when he was saying slow to anger, be slow to anger, he was not talking to unbelievers. He was not talking to non-Christians. To whom was he talking to? Notice what he said in verse 19, You know this, my beloved what? Brethren. When he was saying, be slow to anger, he was talking to Christians. He was talking to believers. Why do you think he was doing that? Why do you think he was writing that? Because there were some believers who were offended by the truth. There were some Christians who were offended when the Word of God was being preached. They did not like it. Jerry Marcelino and Doug Nichols was sharing about this. One time, John MacArthur was asked by some members of his church to preach less doctrine, to have shorter sermons, and to have more illustrations. What do you think they were trying to do? They were, in effect, trying to stifle the preaching of the Word of God. They were serving as impediments and blockades to the preaching of the Word of God. We are not to be angry at God's Word. We are to delight in the Word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law! Believers are supposed to love the Word of God to be sure there are some parts in the Bible that make us uncomfortable. There are some parts in the Bible that do not make us feel easy. We feel ill at ease with some of the things that are in the Scriptures. But then if we are to align ourselves with the truth of God's Word, we are not to be angry at the Word of God. When we are corrected, when we are rebuked by God's Word, we are to respond in humility and say, God, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. I have not been doing things correctly. The Bible says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. As believers in Christ, this is what we are after. We want a righteous life. We want a godly life. We want a life that is given and totally surrendered to God. I recall Doug Nichols once again when he was still a missionary in India. He began to cough a lot. Later on, he found out he had tuberculosis. So he was brought to a hospital which was so dirty. In fact, even the uh, beddings were not changed. Those were the same beddings that were used by the previous patient. And he was there continually coughing and coughing and coughing. And then one night he noticed there was this man who got up from his bed, an old man or a weak man, who got up from his bed and he was trying to walk could not walk. He would fall back to the bed. He would try again, fall back to the bed. 
until finally he could not do anything. And, and Doug Nichols at that time did not know what to do. He did not understand the culture. He was wondering if in that culture it would be proper for him to hold somebody's arm. And he was just simply trying to be sensitive with the culture. So at, during that time, he did not do anything. The man, however, gave up because he could not walk. He was too weak. In the morning, however, there was a very powerful stench. The man urinated in his bed. And then he realized that was the reason why he wanted to get up from the bed. And so there were some people who got angry with that. In fact, there was one patient who hit that man on the head because the whole room was filled with the stench of urine. And Doug Nichols was broken for that man. That night, the same thing happened. Man tried to get up, tried to uh, walk towards the restroom, but could not do so. He fell back, finally gave up again. He started to cry and weep. Nobody wanted to help him. So Doug Nichols, he was very weak. Remember, he, he was probably running a fever. He just came to the hospital very weak. But he went. He said, I have to do something. So he went to that man's bed, picked him up, and he was surprised because he was very weak. He was so surprised to see how very light this man was. And what he did was he brought him to the restroom, carried him all the way to the restroom, and, and held him until he could fully urinate. Brought him back to the bed. And you know what? Because of what he had done, it created a powerful impact on so many people. Previously, he had given out gospel tracts to the people. It was rejected. One morning, however, after he did that, there was a tap on his shoulder. There was a man who was looking at him and he was wondering, what's he going to do? Got a little bit shocked and maybe even scared. The man said, I'd like to get your gospel tract. And one after the other, people began to come to him. Patients came to him and asked him for a gospel tract. Why do you think people went to him? Because they saw Christ in him. And that's the goal of our salvation. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said that I may present every man complete in Christ. The word complete comes from the Greek word teleion, which means spiritually mature. That's the goal. The goal for every Christian is that we might become complete in Christ, that we might become spiritually mature so that when people look at us, we are a reflection of Christ. And Christ is beautiful. The compassion of Christ is beautiful. The kindness of Christ is beautiful. The unconditional love of Christ is attractive and is beautiful. Everything about God, everything about the attributes of God is attractive. And when we reflect who our Savior is, when we reflect that godliness, that purity, that kindness, that goodness, that that love, people get attracted to that beauty. And they will come to Christ. That is why when the Word of God confronts us with truth, we are to receive it. We are not to be angry at God's Word. When we get angry because the Word and truth is preached to us, we will only destroy ourselves. The desire of James here is to bring about a teachability when the truth of God's Word is presented. And I need to say my amens when the Word of God is preached. However, let me just warn you, mental assent 
is not the ending point. What we need to do is we must be moved to action. Which brings me to our third point, the actions we are to do. Verse 21, it says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now, this is talking about undressing ourselves of sin. The word therefore here indicates that this is the natural conclusion of embracing the truth. This is what we need to do. If we believe the word, then we must put aside all filthiness and all wickedness. Notice the word all is repeated twice for emphasis. And what it is saying is we need to change. We need to undress ourselves of all the filth and lust that is inside our hearts. We need to undress ourselves of covetousness. We need to undress ourselves of lust. We need to undress ourselves of, of pride and anger, unrighteous anger. We need to undress ourselves of all perversion and all wickedness. We need to remove that from our system. All of it. Not some of it, but all of it. I recall the story of a teenager who was working as a waiter in a restaurant. And in that restaurant, they had, I think, two rooms that were designated for non-smokers. And his waiter was saying that he was really happy on Sundays because those non-smoking rooms, two of them would be filled up with Christians coming from the church. But this is what he said. He said he was glad to see the large number of smokers, but then he added, they may not smoke, but you ought to hear them gossip. If we had a non-gossip section, nobody would be there. In other words, yes, these believers, these Christians, they were not smoking, they were not drinking, but they were gossiping. And we need to understand that gossip is wrong. Gossip is a sin. When we talk loosely, you and I are sinning against God. And yet, unfortunately, some believers think, well, it's just a small thing. It's just talk. Well, friends, it is harmful to the body of Christ. It is harmful to your soul. And that is why, again, the call here is to put aside all wickedness and all filthiness. The phrase put aside, by the way, in the Greek here has the idea of taking off your clothes. That is why the subpoint I entitled, Undressing Yourself of Sin. And this is the same uh, thought that is mentioned to us in Ephesians when it says that we need to put on the new man and we are to put off the old man. Our problem sometimes is God has given us new clothes, but we prefer to wear our old, dirty clothes. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? The old things have passed away. The new has come. God is never satisfied with partial righteousness and partial purity. How would you like it? if somebody owed you some money and paid you only half of it? Would you be happy? Probably not because you want to be paid in full. God doesn't want partial righteousness. He wants all righteousness. Which brings us to our second and last sub-point under this third point. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, which means 
We need to clothe ourselves with the Word of God. If negatively we are to undress ourselves of sin, then positively we must clothe ourselves with the Word of God. In humility, the Bible says, receive the Word. It means that we must embrace the truth of God's Word and apply it. By the way, the word receive in the Greek is an imperative. It's a command. God is commanding us to receive the Word of God, to embrace the Word of God, to embrace the truth, and to apply it in our lives. That is the call. And that is why, look at Luke chapter 6, verse 46 and following. And this is an indictment on some people during the time of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ because there were a lot of hearers but there were not many doers. And that's why I look at how Jesus responded to them. Luke 6, 46. It goes, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In England, when they say, Me Lord, me Lord, it really means whatever you ask of me, I'm going to do it. The same thought is here. And that is why Jesus was saying, Why call me Lord when you don't do what I say? So when we speak about Jesus as our Lord, we need to be sure that we are obedient people. It says here, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Here's the beauty of obeying the Word of God. The beauty of obeying the Word of God is you are building your life on a solid rock. You're building your life on a solid foundation. Mind you, the storms will come, the floods will come, but you will be stable. You will be secure. You will be strong. You will not be shaken because you've built your life, you've centered your life on the Word of God. In contrast, what if you just simply hear it but don't do it? Here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 49. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. The ruin of that house was great. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about two kinds of people in an assembly like this. Two kinds of people. One people, one kind of people are receptive to the truth. They are receptive to the Word of God, but they don't stop there. They don't stop at mental assent. Whatever they hear, they take it as the marching orders of God. So what do they do about it? They apply it. They become obedient to the Word of God. There are others, however, who come to church. They gather together with God's people they're there to hear. It's the same message. The first group was impacted by the Word of God. They were convicted. They were rebuked. And they determined that they would change. But the other group listened as well. They heard the message. But their hearts were saying, I can't do that. At least not now. Maybe later. But I can't do it right now. Here's a warning from the Scriptures. Your ruin will be great. Now, who wants his life to be messed up? Who wants his life to be ruined? And you and I have no power or authority or greatness to go against the principles and the laws of God. The laws and the principles of God are immutable. We are His creatures, and He is our Creator, and there is only one path and one choice for all those whom God created, and that is obedience. There is no other way. And when we follow His path, we're greatly blessed. 
There was this woman who kept on asking her pastor to pray for her husband because for the longest time, even with all the sharing of the gospel, her husband never came to Christ. And so the pastor kept on praying and praying and praying until he found out that this woman, her name was Mary, had a very bad temper. And it was her bad temper that was actually a bad testimony to the husband, and that is why he would never, ever attend church. So one time, the pastor took aside Mary and said, Mary, you want me to pray for your husband's salvation, but you have not been doing your part. I hear that you have a very bad temper. You need to ask God to deal with your soul. You need to ask God to deliver you from that. She was rebuked. She was willing to listen. But more than that, she obeyed. She came before the Lord and she said, Lord, deliver me from my violent temper. And God delivered her. One time, her husband was walking along the hallway in their house. They just bought this very beautiful and expensive vase. And inadvertently, the husband brushed against the vase and it fell down. It, it was smashed. It could not be brought back together. And the husband was waiting for the rage to just come. Instead, the wife just said, well, you can't do anything about that. We'll just save up some money and maybe we'll buy another vase. He was taken aback. This was not how his wife responded in situations like that. And the husband said, Mary, what, what happened to you? He said, I prayed to God that God would change me. And the husband said, well, if God has the power to change you, I might just go to church. And true enough, in a very short time, he went to church and he was converted. He became a born-again Christian. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. That's what the Word of God does. And that's why it says here, we need to receive the Word. We are to be humble before God. If we do not, it means we're proud before God. Notice it says here that the Word of God is able to save us. Now, the save here is not justification. It's not about your sins being forgiven. The save here, the context here, is being saved from the power of sin. So we're talking about deliverance here. And again, let me just close by saying, we're here, I believe that all of you who came here came here because you and I want a better life. We're not content with our lives. You want the best life ever to take place in your life. And I'm here to tell you, there is no other way. Our staple, our staple every single Sunday is the Word of God. We cannot come up with dramas or concerts or entertainment here on a Sunday. We can't do that. What we need to do is we need to preach the Word of God because that's the only way we could be saved. That is the only way we could be delivered from the power of sin. The bottom line of the sermon is that we should center our lives on the Word of God, aligning our will with the will of God. And the Bible says the will of God is perfect. It is pleasing to God. And when we align ourselves with the Word of God, we will experience the best life we could ever have. Amen? And that is why we, together with the psalmist, we say, Oh, how I love thy law. Amen? We love the law of God. Amen? We love the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
Our Father, we just thank you and bless you for this morning. Once again, thank you for reminding us of the supreme value and treasure that we have, which is the Word of God. And Jesus, you are the living Word. And we just thank you that we also have the written Word. Because the written Word tells us who you are, what you want, what you require, what your will is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. We know exactly what we need to do and how to respond to you because we have the Word of God. Oh Lord, we ask grace not only to hear your Word, but to apply it in our lives. Give us the grace not to be angry, not to be offended at truth, but rather to receive it and embrace it so that we might be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We trust, Lord, in your sovereignty and the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for today, and we thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes, our, our grace gifts, and our offerings to you. And Lord, would you be so kind to bless us in return? Not because we're greedy and covetous, but because we decide to bless your kingdom and exalt your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand and shall we rise from our seats, please?